0: But Romans ten verses fourteen to seventeen, and then we turn back again to Psalm nineteen, and reading the portion of which we just sang. So hear the word of God, Romans ten fourteen. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And over to Psalm 19 and picking up at verse 7. Psalm 19, 7 to 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And as the grass withers and the flower fades... God's Word alone endures forever. May He bless it to us. Those are very familiar passages, uh, both from Romans and from this psalm, that speak about the authority uh, of God's Word uh, and the power of God's Word to effect the purposes of God. And that's what we are focused on in this evening series in dealing with what we call the means of grace and the ordinances of God. And what we saw as the ordinance of God are those outward and ordinary tools. Um, I'm using the word tools because I think it expresses something that God is using uh, as a tool so that the benefits of Christ's redeeming work can be effectually applied to our lives. It's it's not like God stands back like a magician and snaps His finger and then something happens, something appears and something disappears. God has means by which He, in an an outward way, in a very ordinary way, effects His purposes in our lives. He wants to apply His saving grace to us. But it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not a spiritual exercise uh, in some form of mysticism. This is real and tangible things that God uses to show forth and to bless His people effectually with His grace in Jesus Christ. And what we are using for this is, of course, the larger catechism that's going to take us through this. But there we, we understand the three chief ordinances of God. There are others. Uh, children, you may not realize it, but your parents have been a means of grace to you. Uh, there are other things. The church, in some ways, uh, effects, effectually becomes a means of grace to us. Many things. But the three... Uh, outward and ordinary ordinances that God uses are His holy word, both read but especially preached, and the sacraments of baptism in the Lord's Supper and prayer. And last week we looked at, uh, first of all, we considered God's holy word, and, and how it, it is God's means by which He He comes and effects His goodness in our lives to enlighten us, to convince us, to humble us. So that we, as we come to understand these things and the power of Christ, He He comes and He reveals within our lives, within our mind and within our will and soul, our, our hearts and our affections. He comes and He reveals the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior within our life. And we understand that works in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we're, we're continuing on with that catechism question. It, it is in your bulletin, in, in the inside of your bulletin at the bottom of the page. But we're continuing on in that. But I want us to take a few minutes to understand why the catechism says that it's not just the reading of the Word, but especially the preaching of the Word that God uses in our lives. And by putting that statement out there, it's not saying that you need to give up on reading God's Word in your own personal devotional life. Of course it isn't. And it's not saying that God can't use that personal reading to effect and to bring the blessings of His grace in the Lord Jesus Christ into your lives but it is making a very bold statement about the place of preaching and especially how God uses preaching in a more powerful way to awaken you to your need of Christ and to the glories and blessings He has for you in the Lord Jesus. God sets a very high, major effectualness on the preaching ministry of His Word. And we heard that from Romans chapter 10. And he makes a point of distinguishing here about even as Isaiah, quoting Isaiah and saying, who has believed our report? He's making a point of noting that Israel had the Word of God physically before them. And in their synagogues, that Word of God was read to them. And many of them would have committed much of that to memory and would have known, uh, you know, when somebody starts reading from Isaiah, we, we get chapter 53 in our mind and we say, oh, that's chapter 53. They would have just, that's Isaiah and his third song about the Messiah. <laughs> they, they would have known it in that light. But even with all of that, what does he say there in in verse 16? But they have not all obeyed the gospel. And in fact, many of them, in hearing what they already heard, uh, did not obey the call to believe in Christ. But he makes the point there. The need of a preacher. The need of preaching. And that understanding that in God's uh, ordinary outward means... God has chosen preaching to be the, the means through which faith would come. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And in verses 14 and 15, when it talks about uh, preaching and the preacher, that word that's used there is the word for a herald. A herald was someone who was enlisted by the king to go and speak the king's message to the people. That message that was preached or heralded, it had its authority not from the one who was speaking. It had its authority from from the one who spoke those words and who said, go and speak these words to my people. And Paul takes a very common image that, that was present in their day when, when Caesar would issue an edict and it was to go throughout all the land. The heralds went and made sure everyone in the land heard what, what, what the king Caesar declared. And Paul is bringing that over into respect of God's Word. And You see here, God has set a very powerful and holy i want us to think of it in that way a very powerful and holy connection between faith and hearing and the ministry of his word how did you come to faith and most of us talk about someone who who has taught us or we have heard and learned these things but we don't step back and understand god was at work in the ministry of His Word being proclaimed to us, where more and more we understood and saw our need of Christ, and more and more we were humbled to bend our knee to cry out, Lord, be my Savior. It's a work that carries on in the hand of God. And the preaching ministry of God's Word is perhaps the most important essential ordinance that God has set forth for our faith. How do you grow in the faith? You might say, well, I I read God's Word and I pray every day. And I hope you do. But God is saying to you through His Word that what is most important for your life is for you to come and hear Him speak to your soul as His Word is proclaimed to you. And the trouble is we, we don't always... Regard that ministry. Think about it in respect of Psalm 46.10. Where God is telling us not to be concerned about all of the uh, issues that are going on in the world as floods of trials and tribulations wash over the world. And He speaks about how He has set His people in the midst of this and given them a, a river of life that will come and sustain them through it all as God works to subdue the nations. And what does He say there in Psalm 46? Get back, get back into the Psalms here. But what does he say in Psalm forty-six? As he's he's talking about the work that the Lord will do in in uh, conquering the nations, that He will make a refuge for His people, and He would be their strength. And you would know that the Lord of Hosts is with you. God of Jacob is your refuge. And you get down to verse 10, and what does he say to us? He says, be still and know that I am God. What an interesting phrase to make in the midst of that. He wants you to be still and know that He is God. A few weeks ago, I was reading in 1 Kings and the account of Elijah. And Elijah had just had his wonderful demonstration of the power of God on Mount Carmel that saw the destruction of 450 prophets of Baal. And he stood, if you will, against the world. And, and the power of God overcame... Uh, the, the paganism that had risen within Israel. And, and as he's coming back to uh, Samaria, sorry, and, and uh, Jezebel hears what Elijah has done, she threatens his life, and Elijah is suddenly weak and despairing. <laughs> you wonder, how can this happen? That you can go from such a, a mountaintop experience like that And to see the power in the hand of God and this evil, wicked woman threatens your life and you're all, oh God, it hasn't worked. I'm I'm ready to die. I'm through. I'm done. I don't want to go on. What a a huge change within a moment. And and in that account in in 1 Kings 19, Elijah is, is taken in the Spirit to the mountain of God. He's fed by an angel and said, "Now go." And it's forty days journey, and he's he's going in the strength of the Lord to meet with God. And it's interesting that as Elijah is there, he again sees and and feels and experiences many weighty things. He he felt and saw a great strong wind that that was breaking the rocks, an earthquake, and fire, and all of these things came and met him on that mountain. And then it says that the Lord was not in any of them. But when a still small voice, and I just thought, okay, here's a connection. Be still and know that I am God. A still small voice came and Elijah heard it and he knew that the Lord had spoken to him. It's the scene of where in the midst of all the turmoil and trials and tribulations of life that there needed to be this stillness where he could hear God speaking to him. And My friends, that's where God is saying to us in respect of the ministry of His Word preached meets you. You might be wondering, where am I going with this? He wants you. Why is it that God has chosen preaching to be the chief ordinance by which He brings you to faith and nurtures and cares for your faith in your life? Because it's the time when you are still to know God. And He has promised to do an effectual work in this within your souls. Proclamation, preaching is God's chief ordained means to bring you faith and to nurture your faith and your hope and your love in the Lord Jesus. And it's the time and it's the place when the Spirit works most effectually upon your heart. You're not there able to to. Come with your own opinions, which we often do when we sit down to read God's Word. We read it through what we know and what we understand in the moment or what we are experiencing. But often it takes the ministry of God's Word to meet us in a time where we can only be still and hear what God is declaring from His Word. To know and understand and receive things that we were not open to in our own personal reading. And it's in that time that God has promised His Spirit to work powerfully where you are before God in the silence of your mouths and with the focus of your minds where He will bring forth the wisdom of God in Christ. It's not through drama or music. Though music does a lot for our emotions. Nor is it through personal testimony or question and answer. We love those things, don't we? We, we want to sit around and talk and, and interact and engage and give our opinions. But it's in the moment of preaching that God says to you, be still and know that I am God. And we don't realize how important that is. I think of it as a parent sometimes. When you get a child that's all upset and whether they're screaming and crying and, and, and you're trying to deal with a circumstance and a situation in their life or whether they're in conflict with one of their siblings and you just have to say, hey, Be quiet! We've done that a few times, haven't we, parents? And children, you know, you've experienced that. Because in the noise of this world and in the noise of life, God says, to you and that's why again the Lord's day is so essential to your life. The morning and evening ministry of His Word to your soul is so essential. And and, and we as Christians we we pick our own pockets because we have other things we'd rather be doing than being still in the presence of God to hear him speak and and to realize. That God's Spirit is ministering to me in a way that I haven't realized. I'm not validating preachers, I'm validating the ordinance of God that He has chosen to bless you with His Son. And that's where you come back again to Psalm 19 and the larger catechism question how is the Word made effectual to salvation? You can look at it there in your bulletin and follow along. And as you saw last week, we already covered the the first section and we're going to deal with the rest of it. But the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners. We looked at that last week. And... And look what else it says. That the Spirit of God makes especially the preaching of the Word an effectual means of driving them out of themselves. (laughs) Don't you like to be brought out of yourselves? (laughs) What a way to put it. And drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to His image and subduing them to His will of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Now, the remainder of our time, we're looking uh, at that latter portion, but uh, there's so much there. And just making us realize what does the Spirit desire to do with the Word of God As you are sitting here in the stillness of your soul before God. Well, we come back to Psalm 19 and we pick it up in in verse 11 down to verse 14 and we see here's what it is. We're being warned. We're being shown the great rewards of of keeping God's Word. We're being confronted with our errors and our faults. We're being guarded against presumptuous sins that they would not have dominion over us. And, and, And they're bringing forth a purity of holiness in our lives and helping us in our thoughts and with our mouths to do what is right before our God. And you see the catechism bringing that out. And it has, as as one of our points here is, it has a convicting grace upon our lives. Verses 12 and 13. You know, as much as David sets before us the beauty and the glory of God's Word and what it will do for us, as we saw in verses 7 to 9, he comes now and he meets us with the great dilemma that we all have. How many times, you think about this past week, you've done your devotions every day, I trust. How many times when you have read God's Word, have you had the conviction of the Spirit upon your heart? That it has brought you to your knees in repentance before God. David brings out the dilemma of our nature to truly comprehend and experience the ministry of God's Word. Who can understand and discern his own errors, his own hidden sins, his own presumptuous arrogant sins? Can you really know them? You know, we we often joke and say, or at least I have in times past, that our sins is like body odor. (laughs) Everyone can see them before I see them myself. And and that's a reality. That that we don't always know and acknowledge our sins even when we're reading and studying God's Word. We have a propensity of making it an academic exercise or simply just mere road, I've done this so uh, it's done for the day and I'm getting on with life. But God, in preaching, in the preaching ministry of His Word, is seeking to bear a conviction upon your soul to, as the Catechism says, to drive you out of yourself. To drive you out of yourself. To bring that stinging conviction, both of God's holiness and our sinfulness, to bring us to that place where where we are recognizing just how majestic our God is, but in light of that and understanding again our own worthiness of unworthiness of God's presence, our own sinfulness before a holy God. You know, you can confront people with their sin. And they can plug their ears to it because they don't want another sinner bearing. Their sins out before them. Who are you to judge me? I've always remarked with humor how, uh, you know, the vast majority of the unbelieving world knows Matthew 7, verse 1. (laughs) And they use it all the time because they don't want to hear that they are sinning. And they especially don't want to hear that from another sinner. As we understand in this context, it isn't me telling you that you are sinners. In the sense of God's Word is speaking this to you and saying to you, you need to be driven out of yourself. Do you understand your errors? Do you understand the secret faults and presumptuous sins that lie within your soul? Most of us don't. We're quite accustomed to who we are. We kind of like who we are. And we don't always regard ourselves as sinful as we truly are. If you think about it, when Peter brought forth that first sermon on the day of Pentecost, and all he did was he preached to them about who Christ was and what God was accomplishing through His Son and and Jesus' death on the cross to deal with the sins of of Israel. And what does it say to to them before they even cried out? It says in Acts 2.37, they were caught to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And then they cried out, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And again, for most of us, that experience of worship and of the preaching ministry, we love it when we are brought to that place where it just feels like the glory of God is is shining down on us. But God wants us to be brought to that place where we are cut to the heart. Why? Because his greatest desire is not simply to challenge you in your sins or to have you just simply trembling at his holiness. He wants to draw you to Christ. That's what he wants. God does not leave us there in the conviction and sting of our sinfulness. He draws us to Jesus Christ. And you read in John 6, you you see Jesus Himself declaring that in in John 6, uh, verse 44, when He he challenges those who are following Him. I mean, this is not really the greatest way to, to build your church when you get a following and you turn to them and you say to them, are my words offending you? (laughs) Don't you understand that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise them up in that last day? And He speaks there about how He has become that bread of life, that Word of God that has come down from heaven to show to the, the Israel in particular, but to the world, the way of life and truth before God. And it was a hard saying. And you get down to verse 60 of that chapter, many of His disciples, when they heard Jesus saying this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? And they were complaining. And, and we hear a little further on that, that many of His disciples went back and walked with Him no more. They felt a conviction of, of, of God's Word. They felt a conviction of their sins before the holiness of God. But that's where they remained. And my friends, the Father does not want to leave you there. He wants you to be drawn to Christ where His Spirit can minister the glories and the blessings of Jesus' saving grace in your life. And through the ministry of His Word, in that power of the Spirit, Christ comes and He meets you to raise you up out of the sin and misery of life so that you can see He has saved you. (laughs) Isn't that glorious? Isn't that what He says in, in, in verse 44? No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him. And I will raise him up that last day. Do you feel your soul being drawn to Christ? That's Christ ministering to you and saying to you, I have laid hold of you and I will keep you. That's what else He says there in verse 63 of John 6. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are Spirit. They are life. And that's what He's doing. In the preaching ministry of His Word, He's bearing this convicting grace so that you may have life in Him. Do you have faith in the Lord? you realize how Jesus seeks to nurture that faith in Him? And it has transforming glory. And this is our, our, our last point in respect of the ministry of God's Word and this great ordinance that is before us and the preaching of His Word. And it, it is a transformative in, in the hands of our God. It's a transforming glory. And again, back to Psalm 19, you see that. Verses 13 and 14. When he talks about being blameless and innocent of great transgressions and having words and thoughts that are acceptable to God. God has set the preaching ministry of His Word as the essential way in which Food for your soul is brought to you where, in accordance again with our catechism, where you are conformed to His image and subdued to His will. It's just like your home. You get your three square meals a day. Unless you're the mother or perhaps the father at times, how many of you are are preparing your meals? They're often prepared for you But nonetheless, they're prepared. Well, for our souls, God God has His Word prepared to meet you. Because His desire is to make you like Christ. To sanctify you. If I could put it this way, to make you less a sinner and more a saint. To subdue you to God's will. These aren't things, again, that that happen in our life in a vacuum. They happen in ways and means. They happen when the Word of Truth meets our hearts that have been softened by the Spirit to receive the ministry God has planned for us. You think of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul here talks about how Israel, when Moses was read, had a veil on their heart. But he speaks in verse 16 how we who have come to Christ, we have had that veil removed so that when we hear God's Word, we realize that in the power of the Spirit, He is there to work in us more of Christ. So, as he says there, that with unveiled face we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same glory from uh, in the into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the lord do you have a picture of the glory of christ in your mind what and i don't mean a carved image i'm talking about an understanding of who he is as that true man whose life was one of perfect obedience to the Father in all things as He lived and walked in this wilderness of sin. Wouldn't it be amazing to be able to have beheld that glory of Christ? Well, the Father is saying to us, my desire is to make you like my Son. And here is how it will happen. My word preached to you preeminently. That's how it happens. And to strengthen and build you up against temptations and corruptions. And again, how much you need God's word to help you in this coming week in God's good providence. He knows that what you have heard today is going to equip you for this week Do you believe that? Because you will be tempted tomorrow. If not tonight. (laughs) But you certainly will be tempted tomorrow. You will have your inward lusts tempted. Just like Christ did when He was challenged to turn the rocks into bread. You might think, well, that's not a big deal. Oh, well, it is when you haven't eaten for 40 days and He was hungry. (laughs) He had a body of flesh, but but he was not going to do the will of God in Satan's urging. (laughs) He was going to walk in God's will and wisdom for his life. You will face the temptations of coveting. (laughs) You will desire this world's prosperity, that better job, more money, But the ways of attaining those things means a sacrifice of the Lord's day. And we think, well, it's still more money. It's still a more prosperous life. And what we are willing to give up because of our coveting hearts. We're tempted in these ways. And what pride comes and meets us. And what strengthens and builds us to be able to face those temptations and corruptions of the world around us, it is God's Word. Remember Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And He's heralding to your hearts, don't be deceived. Don't be taken in and as well to establish and comfort you. This is this is the transforming glory that works in our lives even now this side of heaven. When you find your assurance of God's love faltering in your life, when overwhelming trials come and just steal away your faith in God, when the nearness of death comes and meets you, when the heartache of wandering children burdens you, when Satan throws his darts and speaks and whispers in your ears, God's not with you. Where do you go? And It's here where God has purposed and promised to you that My Word will come and be used in the power of the Spirit to speak peace to your soul and to transform and strengthen you and to comfort you in this weary wilderness so that you may be strong in Him. It is a means of grace. And on our part, when we come to enjoying and experiencing the blessing of the means of grace we must prepare our hearts to receive it. I know it's easy to judge the preacher. These are the hard parts of preaching a sermon like this. But it is easy to judge the preacher. It is easy to complain about the length. It is easy to say what was missed or I really didn't get much out of it. But that more often, and I know this is going to sting, but that more often than not is coming from a heart that is not prepared to receive the ministry of God's Word. And that's where we are brought back again in Psalm 19 to the, verse 10. What do I desire more than gold? What do I find is sweeter to my soul than all the honey this world can offer? And God is saying to you, let it be My Word. Through His Word He has promised to sustain and keep you, build you up, transform you, convict you. He will sustain you in this earthly life. Make God's Word your greatest delight. He will bless you. Let us pray.